Well, good morning, everybody. How about we put our hands together and thank the Langebartle Trio, right? The Langebartle Trio of worship this morning. Let's thank our tech crew as well. All of you online can, you know, type some words of gratitude. They got here early this morning, making sure we stay all virtually connected while we're socially distant. Miss seeing all of your faces. The season tickets are far, season ticket holders are far too empty during these days for sure. But hey, welcome to everyone joining us, Eagle family, uh, miss seeing your faces, extended Eagle family, and per perhaps just some guests joining during these unique days in our culture. We're glad that you're here. I'm so glad you're tuned in uh, for this message this morning. But before I get into the message, I want to give you a little update about the ways the different members of the Eagle family are serving others and serving needs. Would you like a little update, a few stories, some really cool stuff happening. So here's a first picture, Allie King, who's down on the near west side. Do we have that pic up there? There we go. Allie's, there's a picture of all of you. A few weeks ago, Justin talked about how we could just start dropping food off here at the church. Well, uh, this past week, Allie came down <clears throat> or came up here to Eagle, collected a lot of the food. And there's a picture of the food being taken down to the near west side where Allie works with Youth for Christ City Life, and they're distributing it to families in need. So thanks to all of you who helped give the food and the cleaning supplies and everything else. And Allie, we want you to know we, we love you, we're with you, we're for you. Thanks that, for all you guys are doing, you and Danny and others there on the near west side. And then also, uh, similarly, Lance and Peggy Lamott. Let's put a picture of Lance and Peggy up there. This past Friday, was it Friday, I think? that they were driving around and uh, because of some of the um, quarantine dynamics that we're in and uh, kind of shelter in place, we asked families to just go ahead and purchase some food and set the bags of groceries out on their front step there. And so Lance and Peggy drove around to several Eagle homes and collected uh, you know, a car full of stuff and took it down to Danny and there's a picture of them with their, so there's Danny on the far left, that's Lance and Peggy, and then one of Danny's colleagues who's serving on the east side. So it's a great picture, is it not, of just the church being the church and serving families in need. Thanks, Lance and Peggy, for all that you're doing in that. And then I got another cool story. So here's a picture of Susan Roseboom. Do you know Dave and Susan Roseboom? Great family, wonderful people. Susan is crazy talented with her hands, with arts and crafts. And she heard about um, the hospital in her area who's short on masks. And because she's got a little more time on her hands, there's some cutbacks in her work setting, she decided to just put together. She made 100 masks for a local hospital. Here's a picture of them. Isn't that cool? Like Susan just making masks and dropping them off at local hospital just to help families and people and medical personnel in need. Susan, thanks so much for your generosity. And these are just the ones we know about. So all of you who are doing stuff, you're seeing needs and meeting needs. That's what the church is doing, right? The church shines brightest when our circumstances are often the darkest. So right now, so many of you out in the trenches seeing needs and meeting needs, would you let us know? We'd love to share some of these stories week to week. Send us a picture, a little brief description of how you're seeing a need and meeting that need. I think it'd be super encouraging for the broader Eagle family to hear about it. It's the church being the church, is it not, Eagle folks? And then one last cool story, no picture for this one because it just happened. So on Friday afternoon, I got looped in, invited into a Zoom call with a dozen or so pastors, kind of suburban church pastors. 
And uh, the call was two, purpose of the call was twofold. One was just to encourage each other, um, just to kind of support each other in light of all that we're trying to lead through. And then two, it was to coordinate our efforts together to serve our city well during these days. And so we started talking about the various ways that different churches are trying to help needs and so many churches doing so many cool things, um, really meaningful. Well, one of the topics came up that in our city particularly, our hospitals, our nursing homes, many of the medical facilities all around the city are running short on N95 masks. They're kind of the masks you see in most pictures. They're kind of a specialized mask. And so they're running so short that most of the medical personnel have to reuse their mask, kind of keep disinfecting it. In fact, one of our own elders, Dr. Sim, he sent me an email and said, hey, you know, I've been using the same mask for like two weeks. I have to disinfect it all day long. And so it's not optimal is the bottom line all this. So we heard about this and the churches, uh, we just, we had a conversation Friday afternoon, but what would it look like if we all just pooled our resources and bought as many N95 type masks um, for the local hospitals and nursing homes, et cetera. And so over the course of a few hours, we were able to raise enough money to purchase 200,000. Yeah, you didn't misunderstand. 200,000 masks that are being distributed in the week or 10 days ahead. And hope to be able to give you some pics and maybe a little video footage from that. But they're about $1.39 a piece. So if you do the math, it's over $250,000 that all the churches, Eagle was a part of that as well, just contributing, helping. It's How cool is that, that the local body of Christ coming together to simply meet, especially all those who are on the front line with our medical personnel. I just wanted to share that with you because you all were a part of that. So those are just some cool ways the Church of Jesus is being mobilized during these days. All right, open up your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 today. I've entitled today's message, Releasing the Grip of Anxiety. So long before the coronavirus was inserted into our vocabulary... I think there was an emotional pandemic that was sweeping across the hearts and minds of Americans. You know, I, I did some reading on this, and the emotional pandemic I would call was would, I would call it an anxiety pandemic. I, I would call it like National Institute of Health states that 19% of all Americans today state that they suffer from some form of a stress-related or anxiety disorder, 19%. That led one of the authors that I was doing a little research on. This is an author uh, named Taylor Clark. He wrote this. He said the conclusion after his study was, quote, America is now, quote, the most anxious nation in the world. So there was a study done, 200,000 incoming college freshmen and psychologist Robert Leahy, one of the findings from that study was that he wrote the following, 200,000 incoming college freshmen in America. He said, quote, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. So can you, can you picture now? So picture the most anxious nation in the world, and the coronavirus pandemic kind of overlaps and arrives at the shores of the most anxious nation in the world. Can you feel kind of the weight of the air that we're all breathing these days? 
there's kind of weightedness. There's a density. It's like a, a dense fog that has settled around all the air that we're breathing. It's a fog filled with stress and worry and uncertainty and whatabouts and if onlys and our mind just races. And we don't even have to think about it. All we have to do is wake up. We wake up and we're breathing an air that I would argue has just kind of become laced with an epidemic of anxiety that's moving from just personal to societal and cultural. I think what we're dealing with is a cultural-wide pandemic of anxiety that's kind of being carried along under the codename COVID-19. So I thought what we'd do today is we'd look into God and His Word, and before we get into the text, let me just say this. I recognize that this topic especially, for some of you listening, this is very personal and very poignant, and you've been battling mental health issues and anxiety-related disorders for years. You've been seeing physicians and medication and therapists, all very important, very necessary, very critical to working through. There's a physiological and neurological component to anxiety and stress-related disorders, no doubt about it. And some of you are on the front line of battling that. I don't in any way want to diminish the magnitude of what we're discussing today. To recognize there is physiological components, there are neurological components. In fact, one of the maybe one of the practical action items for some listening today is if you're really battling this anxiety issue at a really deep level and you've never had a conversation with your family physician, that might be like the first action step. So not to diminish all of those dynamics, but I want us to look to God and His Word because I believe that it's not just physiological, it's not just neuroscience and neurological, I believe there's some spiritual dynamics at play, and God and His Word gives us some insights on how the grip of anxiety can begin to be loosened around our hearts and minds during these days. So look here. Philippians chapter 4, let me set the context before I read the verses for you. So here, the Apostle Paul is a writer of Philippians 4. So Paul's under house arrest for two years. You think of it as two years shelter in place. He's been given that by the Roman authorities. It wasn't like behind bars type of prison sentence. Think of it as more like he's in a small home, he's under the watchful eye of the Roman guards, kind of under surveillance. It's not quite like our quarantine going on these days, but for those of you who are like quarantined up with preschoolers, I think you're close to what the Apostle Paul was like dealing with here. So he's in quarantine, he's going at it for two years, and the reason he's been locked up in that capacity is because Saul of Tarsus was his former name, has now become Paul the Apostle. He has become a carrier of the gospel of Jesus all through the Mediterranean world. And so Paul, he was more contagious than the coronavirus ever was. He was contagious with the hope and faith and love and grace of Jesus. He spread it everywhere he went. You couldn't keep it to the Apostle Paul. Once he met Christ on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, his life was radically changed. And so everywhere he went and every person he met, he just wanted to speak to them about the power of Christ to change a life because his life had been radically changed. 
So here's the Apostle Paul, who eventually decides to use the prison kind of quarantine, shelter in place for two years to write a bulk of his New Testament letters. Paul writes 13 of the 27 New Testament letters, many of them while he's behind bars, so to speak. And so this is one of his letters, most likely in Rome, most likely under house arrest, and he's writing to this young church at Philippi. Because he starts penning these letters to these churches that had sprung up all over the Mediterranean world. After Jesus was resurrected and Paul was converted, God sent him out to the, known, to the world where they'd never heard the name of Jesus. And Paul would go out and he would tell them, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've strayed into, you are not beyond the grace of God. Jesus can make all things new in your life. And no doubt he would tell them his story, that once he was lost and now he was found, once he was blind and now he sees. So Paul's walking through all these cities and all these towns and and the Roman authorities and the Jewish leaders began to get a little nervous. And so they want to socially distance him. <laughs> they want to isolate him. They want to put him on the sidelines. <laughs> so they put him under house arrest. And instead of that shutting down Paul, he just picks up, puts ink to paper. And he says, you know what? I'm going to continue to be contagious with what's taken over my life. And perhaps there's someone listening today. You've tuned in today and you've had the thought, what, what in the world does, could God do with my life? Or maybe you've had the thought, you just feel like God's long since given up on you. Or, or maybe you've had the thought, you've strayed into so many things and wandered so far. And you say, Pastor Eric, if you had any idea about the details of my life, you would say, there's just no hope, no way. Well, I want to position to you Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, who would say, no matter what you've strayed into, no matter how long you've strayed into it, no matter where you've wandered, no matter how long you've wandered, you are not beyond the grace of of God. And maybe you tuning in today, some living room, some car, some uh, bedroom, some kitchen, you're tuning in today to simply hear this. God has not given up on you. He's still coming for you. There's grace for you. His face is turned towards you in love. And that's what the Apostle Paul gave his life to. And so when you read Paul's letters, this is why you you see the themes come through so strongly, like we're going to read now. Philippians 4, verse 4, here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Say rejoice with me at home. Kids, help your parents out here. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be, I want you to circle in your Bibles if you have it. Circle anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, say all, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I put in your notes there, which by the way, if you haven't pulled out your notes yet, there should be a little icon down near the bottom part of your streaming it looks like a piece of paper. Online hosts will help you get there. Be super helpful to have your notes pulled out at this point because in your notes, I put the original word that Paul used. It's called, it's the Greek word merimnaho. And, and it means this. I put in your notes, it means strangled or choked with concern. It's the same word Jesus used in Matthew 6 when he said, do not worry, merimnaho, about your life. 
that there's this, there's this way of being where anxiety can settle in around your heart and like you'd be choked with concern. And man, you know what it's like to live that way? Some of you are uh, just battling this in a whole new way that, that Jesus says there's a way of being in the world that actually you can encounter Christ through the Holy Spirit and begin to have at the center of your being, not merim naho, but an unhurried, non-anxious presence. Anybody else interested in that these days? Anybody else interested in detoxing from the fog of anxiety and uncertainty and what-ifs and if-onlys? Well, Paul says four key words here. So here's kind of the four key words from this passage. We're going to look at the connection between gratitude, presence, prayer, and peace. Gratitude, presence, prayer, and peace. So one sentence summary of the message this morning is this. Gratitude, presence, and prayer become the pathway to experiencing a peace that transcends understanding. I'm going to say that again. Gratitude, presence, and prayer become the pathway of experiencing a peace that transcends understanding. Church, anybody interested in just receiving that kind of peace today? I feel like Paul and Jesus' words are so magnetic right now in our culture. And just say, Lord, is there another way of being than choked and strangled with concern? Jesus and Paul say, yeah, yes, there is but it's going to involve kind of working some steps here of gratitude, presence, and peace. Let's get started with gratitude. Verse 4, the rejoice. No, underline in your Bibles, in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Now, this isn't some like happy, clappy type rejoice where you just kind of put your head in the sand and ignore all the dynamics we're going through. This is not that kind of rejoicing. This isn't ignoring all that's going on with COVID-19 and the ripple effects. This isn't ignoring the conversations about layoffs and job loss and cutback and concern over your family's health and financial being and concern of loved ones. and, and all. It's not, it's, not, it's not ignoring all of that. It's, I think, better understood with what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6. You, I didn't put this in your notes. Just jot down 2 Corinthians 6. There's a little phrase he uses in there. He, he, says, he says he's sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's, that takes a tremendous amount of like emotional dexterity and spiritual maturity to live in that space. And that's the gospel calls us to that place where we can be sorrowful. It's important right now, church, that we grieve the losses that we're all experiencing across the board. Students, I know you've got a ton of things that you're grieving. There's a lot of cancellations, and you you'd planned this and that, and it's important. Grieve the losses, right? You thought your semesters were going to unfold a certain way. You thought your spring sports were going to be a certain. Grieve the losses, and, and kids, same way. Children saying, we've got to grieve the losses. And some of you have, have experienced a loved one who's battling coronavirus, or maybe you've got a friend or a family member who's lost a loved one. I just got word that one of our pastors in the Alliance down in Avon, he just became diagnosed this past week, so we'll be reaching out to his family. We need to be praying uh, for Pastor Amos down in Avon and just be praying for the Lord to do a mighty work in that family. So many of you carrying the weight of that. That's the importance of sorrowful. And some of you are having conversations at work that 
you know, you just, you don't want to have right now. There's just more unanswered questions, and you don't know where the job scene's going to go, and you don't know if the bills continue to stack up, and how the income's going to come, and you know, all these things that swirl around. And if you watch any measure of news, it tends to be fuel on that fire, And so it's not denying that. Hear this. It's not a rejoicing in denial of all that we're experiencing as a culture. It's a rejoicing in spite of it. Or as one writer said, it's like like rejoicing. It's like joy in the Lord is a statement of defiance against the circumstances of our world. Do you see that? I think that's this. I think that's Paul saying, absolutely. Paul's life, as we'll get into in a minute, it was filled with difficult dynamic, sorrowful. He was honest about his challenges, but always rejoicing. You say, well, how do I do that? It's a good question. What does Paul say in, in the text here? He says, rejoice where? Not rejoicing in your circumstances. You don't rejoice in some of the health challenges you may be facing. You don't rejoice in some of the marriage struggles, parenting struggles. You don't rejoice in some of the, the cutback converse. You don't rejoice in circumstances. You rejoice. What does Paul say in verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord. So this is, a, this is an expressing of gratitude that's based on what we know we have in the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's an, it's an expression, it's a rejoicing of gratitude that God is with us and God is for us and God is able. It's an expressing of gratitude that when we were dead in our transgression and sin, God sent Christ to die for us and to raise us up. It's an expression of gratitude that no matter how deep the valley, no matter how dark the day, that Jesus is with us, and He will guide us, and He will not leave us, and He will not forsake us. It's an expression of gratitude in the language of our recent series on identity. I know it feels like months ago, but it was just a few weeks ago when we were talking in identity about these truths that God knows me, God loves me, God is for me, I am a child of God. It's having gratitude for that. It's an expression of gratitude in the language of Ephesians 1 that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, reconciled, sealed, delivered. Church, we've got reason to rejoice in the Lord that we pick up this God-breathed book and from Genesis to Revelation, we read about a story of a God who is relentlessly in love with us as people. He's pursuing us. He never gives up on us. He sends Jesus to the cross to die for us. He raises him back to life and sends his spirit. Church, right here, 66 books worth of fuel to rejoice in the Lord, that he set good purposes for you. He's created good works in advance for you to do, reason to rejoice. And then you combine that with the cross and the empty tomb that we'll be rejoicing and experiencing in a couple weeks with Holy Week. We've got adequate fuel in the Lord to rejoice in the face of and in spite of our circumstances, be that COVID-19 or some other personal dynamic. There is this role of gratitude. Now, stay with me here. I want you to to see the connection between gratitude and anxiety. I put it in your notes this way because I wanted you to have it to reflect on this week. Anxiety, hear this, anxiety is a grasping for control of what we don't have in the future. But gratitude is giving thanks for what we do have in the present. You follow me there? Now, 
I know I can't see your faces all. Just give me like a nod somewhere if you follow me or give me a shake of the head somewhere here, right? I'm going to say this again. So, so anxiety is grasping for control of what we don't have in the future, but gratitude is giving thanks for what we do have in the present. Anxiety is like a, a straining or a striving for a life we wish we could have that's always like right outside our reach, but gratitude is being grateful for what we already have in Jesus. Do you see that? It's like, I want you to think of it as the sacrament of the present moment. That in the Lord, in this moment, at this day, at this hour, I have reason to rejoice. Not in my circumstances, but in the Lord. And we got to work this muscle right now, church. That's why it's important for us to gather Sunday mornings and the team leads us in song and we're rejoicing through the lyrics of these songs. We're doing it on Wednesday nights as well. Join us on Wednesdays at seven that way. We're going to rejoice in the Lord in spite of our circumstances in the face as an act of defiance on some of the cultural dynamics coming at us. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. And as we do that, we're going to see the grip of anxiety just begin to loosen up a little bit. There's just this kind of, remember, Merim Naho, right? Merim strangled, choked with concern. One of the steps is we work the muscles of gratitude. We just see it kind of loosen up around our hearts. Now combine gratitude with presence. Look at verse 5. Presence comes from the Lord is near. I put in your notes Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Some of you in a situation, just call out to the Lord. He is near. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And man, Paul, Paul's life was like a poster child for COVID-19 dynamics. I mean, all that we're experiencing, the ripple effect from this pandemic... Paul's everyday life was that way. Physical suffering, economic hardship, emotional turmoil, uncertainty, upheaval. Apostle Paul's life. That's like every day. Like when, that's why you don't read in Paul's writings much about safety and security and comfort and convenience. Not big topics with Paul because it wasn't much of an experience of most of his adult life. That once he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had joy, he had purpose, he had meaning, he had significance, he had the Holy Spirit, he had power, he had energy of the Holy Spirit, but he didn't have safety, comfort, and convenience. That wasn't it. He, his life was hard. And church, life is hard. I mean, even without COVID, it's hard. And some of you are in some tough sledding personally, and then all this hits as a wave. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow Paul's lead here and say, Paul had all the dynamics to be choked with concern, to be exhausted with anxiety, to be exhausted in his uncertainty and choked with his concern. That would have been very easy for Paul to do. But instead, he doesn't go that route. Instead, he finds a peace that transcends understanding how he's drawing on this. The Lord is near. Presence. God is with me. I'm not alone. Notice how Paul starts with what he does have in Jesus, not with what he doesn't have in his circumstances. He reminds himself as, of who is with him. We need to remind ourselves today, I think, right? Who, who's with us today? Right? Who's with us today? Paul's reminding himself the Jesus who 
in John chapter 1, who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That, that Jesus is with her. Or in John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. John chapter 4, he helped a Samaritan woman find living water. In John chapter 5, he said to the paralytic who'd been by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, rise and walk. That Jesus, he is with him. Or in John chapter 6, Paul's reminded, oh, that's right, the Jesus who fed 5,000 with just a few loaves and fish. And the Jesus who walked on water in the middle of the storm to come to the disciples and say, I am, do not be afraid. That Jesus is with him. Or in John chapter 7, right, Paul says, that's right, the Jesus who stood in Jerusalem at a massive gathering of a water ceremony and said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and streams of living water will flow from within him. Or in John chapter 9, the Jesus who healed the blind man. Or in John chapter 11, the Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. Or in John 20, the one who went to the cross and rolled the stone away. Or in Acts chapter 1, he ascended to the heavens. And in Acts chapter 2, he poured out his spirit on our life. That Jesus, that Christ, that King, that Savior, that Lord, he is with us. He is near. And that doesn't just change some things, that changes everything. That Paul said, hey, I may look like I'm alone, but I'm not really alone. I may, I may look like I'm isolated, but I'm not isolated. The Lord is near. The God of glory who thunders is near. I think Paul's getting his hands on what I'm calling today the new math of presence. You know what the new math of presence is? I put it in your notes this way. God plus anybody is a majority. This is why Paul could write to the church in Rome in his letter in Romans. He says, if God be for me, then what can stand against me? Church, if God is for us, then what can stand against us? The Lord is near. Can I get an amen through the screens today, huh? You guys don't have anywhere to be anywhere. Can I just keep on preaching here a little bit? I'm going to get a little wound up. If I was old school, I'd have like a little towel up here. I might get a little sweat going. Is that okay? You guys good with that? I guess you don't have a choice, right? So, hey, the Lord is near, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul says, you keep working this muscle. You work the gratitude muscle of rejoicing in the Lord, and then you remember this. This Jesus, this Jesus who set the world in its place, who holds it all together by the power of his word, this Jesus is with you. He is near Unemployment, the Lord is near. Parenting struggles, the Lord is near. Marriage turmoil, the Lord is near. Bills piling up, the Lord is near. Single, alone, afraid, the Lord is near. An addiction that won't loosen its grip, the Lord is near. COVID-19, the Lord is near. Maram Naho, strangled and choked with concern, the Lord is near. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And church, that doesn't just change some things. That changes everything. Amen. If you hadn't said amen in your living room, now's a good time to say it. Amen. The Lord is near. He is with us. He is for us. He is able. And this is, do you, do you feel it? Can you feel how the stranglehold of concern just starts loosening up its grip when you combine gratitude with presence? When you combine rejoicing with the Lord is near He's near. And then now look what happens in verse 6. He says, hey, Paul says, hey, if this God is near, if that God, if that King, if that Savior and that Lord is near, 
Why would I not want to talk to him about everything? Look at verse 6. He says, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Do you see that, church? So this is our third dynamic. This is prayer. I call this the anything, everything prayer. Do you see that? You don't have to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and the anything, everything prayer. We cultivate the habit of this. Church, we cultivate the habit of simply saying, Jesus, help. Jesus, help. I can't. You can. Jesus, help. And I don't know about how, I can only imagine how your weeks are, are going. Uh, but my week kind of wrapped up in this place, in this posture of I just like, geez, I can't. You can, please help. Just Jesus help. That's about the only prayer I could whisper at the end of the week this week. I, I woke up Saturday morning, yesterday morning, I just, anybody, I just felt this kind of, the heaviness of everything just kind of settling in on me. It just kind of seemed to come out of nowhere, ironic on a week when, when I'm talking about these things. And so I got up and, and I went outside and it was nice yesterday morning. So we just wanted to have some exercise outside, a little walk and run and was praying and talking to the Lord. I just felt, I felt the weight of concern for all of you, just interacting with some of you this week and hearing about the, the really difficult circumstances, maybe nothing related to COVID-19, just personally some of the stuff, and then others of you being thrust into a whole new category of challenges. And I was just burdened about all those things, and I was burdened about, you know, uh, just what are we going to do as a church through these days, burdened for our staff and how we lead well through these days. All this stuff, all the unknowns, all the questions, and then financially all the things, and then I I had some kind of articles sent to me, some leadership insights about kind of the state of things and perhaps trying to predict where the next few months are going and all that, all those things just combined with anybody else been there? Man, I felt Merim Naho was just like right around my heart, just like that, just, and all I could do, all I could do is say, Jesus, help. I can't. You can't. Please help. And I don't think we need to make prayer any more complicated than that these days. And it's just like the Lord, right, to take. So yesterday morning I go, I come back from my run and I open up my Bible, my normal Bible reading. I'm in Psalm 70 yesterday morning. And here, here's the line I come to. Psalm 70 verse 4, it says, May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. Man, it's just like the Lord, right? To personally meet me in a way like that. It didn't just like magically remove all the anxiety, but it just was a lift in my spirit. I'm with you and I will help you. And maybe the Lord has somebody tuned in this morning just simply to hear that. The Lord sees what you're going through. He hears your cry for help. He's with you. And he will help you. And we can join Psalm 70 verse 4 and we can say uh, that 
all who seek you have reason to, to rejoice in you. We, we can proclaim that we, we long for his saving help. We say the Lord is great, even in spite of the circumstances, even in spite of the unanswered questions, even in spite of the length of however long these kinds of circumstances go. Max Lucado, I put this quote in your notes as I kind of draw things to a close here. Look what Lucado says. He says, no more if only. It's a petri dish in which anxiety thrives. Replace your if only with already. Look what you already have. Treat each anxious thought with a grateful one and prepare yourself for a new day of joy. Church, we got no idea what this week holds. Hasn't it felt like one week? It's felt like it's at least three weeks long. I was just thinking, didn't that happen like three weeks ago? That was just last week. Just the volume of things that are coming at all of us. The church, we got no idea what this week holds, but hear this. We know who holds it. And we do not have to cave to the tyrant of anxiety that wants to choke out the life of God inside of us. We don't have to cave. We don't have to give in to that. I think wisdom would be we could follow the Apostle Paul's lead here in Philippians 4. That we're going to work the rhythm of gratitude and presence and prayer and trust that we'll find a pathway to peace. And so at the bottom of your notes, I just put this week. Come on up, worship team. You guys can come on back up. So here's kind of the action items for the week. This week, I'd like us to create a gratitude ritual. Anybody up for that? A gratitude ritual. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to begin each day with three statements. So as soon as you get up, hit the bathroom, brush your teeth, look in the mirror. I want you to three statements of Lord, thank you for, finish the sentence. We're going to create a gratitude ritual this week. We're going to work those muscles. And then we're going to combine it with no matter what news you and I hear, whether that's personally or collectively, no matter what we hear this week, here's what we're going to work the muscle. We're going to whisper, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. And then thirdly, We're going to pray our way into these scriptures. I've given you five psalms that I think help us in the space that we're talking about this morning. Psalm 1, Psalm 16, Psalm 42, 84, 103. 1, 16, 42, 84, 103. Let's commit just, I gave you five so you can spread them across the next seven days, but just find some space. Find some quiet space somewhere. Those of you with young ones, help each other out at home. Um, just, you know, give each other a little space where you can get a little quiet, settle in with a scripture like that. And here's what we're going to do. Church, if there's ever going to be a commentary on North America that's better than, quote, the most anxious nation in the world, it's going to have to start with a renewal in the heart of the people of God. We can't look for circumstances to just radically shift. That's not a healthy... Circumstances are always going to be what they are. Certainly unique that we're in now, but eventually we're going to get through this and there will be a whole other set of circumstances we're going to face. Who knows what those will be? No one could have ever tagged 2020 this way. So we got no idea what tomorrow holds. But here's what we know today. 
we can rejoice in the Lord. We can be grateful for this present moment right now with what we have in Jesus. And we can remember that the God who set the heavens in their place and calls the stars by name and sent Christ to the cross and rolled the stone away, that God is near. He's Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord is near. And we can call out to him about everything. We can say, Jesus, help. I can't. You can. Please help. And as we do that, we can expect him to bring what only he can bring. Just like the language from last week's message, he'll walk through walls to bring us a peace that transcends understanding. Let's pray together. I just want to pause now and all those who are listening before you scurry off to whatever is next, just, just pause now with eyes closed, head bowed, kids, help us out. Try to just sit still here for a minute. And I just believe there's some listening today where today's the day where you need to call out, I can't, you can, Jesus help. It's it's your moment of salvation. It's your personal surrender. You've known about the Lord. Maybe you've had some church background, but it's time to get personal, and maybe it's today, and you just simply call out, Jesus, save me. I'm done trying to run my life the way I run it, want to run it. I'm done with making my life my project. I'm turning it over to you. Save me. Fill me with your spirit. I confess my sin. I believe you are Savior and Lord. Here's my life. It's yours. You just call out to him from the quietness of your heart, Jesus, save me. And then others of you right now, you're walking into some weeks or some days ahead that you look at a mountain of circumstances. I just pray you'd open that up. We're not going to live in denial of it. We're going to be honest about it and say, Jesus, here it is. It's difficult. Uh, the valley seems deep and dark. Um, but here's what I'm going to hold on to, you, that you're with me, that the Lord is near that you will help me. I don't have to be afraid, that you'll be my light. And you just open up. Wherever that place of Merim Naho has been creeping in, wherever you felt the anxiety rising up most strongly, be that at home, be that at work, marriage, family, health, finances, whatever, just open it up and say, Jesus, help. And then, Father, I just collectively pray now for a blessing of the peace of God on the people of God. Bring us your peace that transcends understanding. An unhurried, non-anxious presence at our core. Would you impart that to us by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.